You're listening to Legends Cast, a proud member of the Camp Legend Podcasting Network. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash camplegend. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, season four, the starter set. I am one of your hosts, Mark or the Lit from outside of Pittsburgh, PA. And with me today, I have my legendary never faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd, and my eternally optimistic and catastrophically creative co-host, Gibbles and Bits, DBN. How you feeling? It's bright and early on a Saturday morning. Double record day. That's right. Double record day after my flight uh, is delayed six hours and I spend a total of seven hours in the uh, in the Chicago airport. So that's that's not great. The Chicago um, airport is not great either, mind you. It's not Chicago O'Hare, uh, right? Is that the one you were in? Yeah, it's O'Hare. Um, yeah. Well, let's see. I guess it was technically I was in the airport for six hours. I was in the airport for six hours, but that's still not great. No, uh, I was supposed to be home last night around seven. I end up home last night at uh, like getting in the door at twelve thirty, uh, and uh, you know. It, what's crazy is is that the original estimated time in the air was like 20 minutes 30 minutes longer hmm. so i don't know i guess by getting that delayed they're like you know what let's shave off some time let, let's pump the uh <laughs> let's j- j- rev the turbines we're gonna get them home faster uh you, but no it, did you ever play cruise in usa stop. in like an arcade uh the car <laughs> yep. game where you could pump the gas pedal and your car would do a wheelie dude, dude, um, yeah i love that <laughs> that's what i'm picturing oh, your plane doing right now uh yeah. <laughs> just wheeling across the sky no, it was it was all it was all sorts of a mess i mean i was there because i get to airports early because i'm you know like always worried about things happening the a, a flight got moved up an hour one time in my life and now i'm forever paranoid uh you know <laughs> um so anyways yeah it was a long long day and that's of course after multiple days in chicago for business so it's like i am just gassed yeah uh i literally wake up to mark's text hey are you ready to record we're in, <laughs> we're in the we're in riverside we're about to record oh crap (laughs) (laughs) well here's the good news we made it we're all here uh and uh and ready to talk some inscription gibby how about you man how are how are you doing today much better than that i fortunately have not spent six hours in an airport but am also but also did wake up early to drop my wife off at the airport because she Mm. is on the way uh on to go see some family this weekend in another state so uh, I was up early and uh, did fall back asleep for a little bit, but I'm here and I'm ready to go, ready to talk inscription. Um, fun fact, my first business trip I ever took when I got hired just after college in uh, when I was working for Norfolk Southern, the train company uh, in the marketing department, I took a business trip and I had to travel about 45 minutes away to get to the airport mm-hmm. and I hit a crap ton of traffic and I almost missed my flight which would have been real a really bad look at like yep. being hired after like two months and going on a business trip and you miss your own flight that yeah would have been would have been a really bad time so like ian i am paranoid i show up to every flight stupid early of time yes yeah yeah you know and then you never know when like tsa is going to be backed up because a bunch of people don't show up to work so like i almost missed a flight one time because of tsa being like oh one person is here for the whole like concourse for everybody you know yeah. yeah and i'm just like all right so i don't play with that anymore i get there i try to get there very early nice. it always uh, seems like the guy who never got the memo of what not to wear when going through the airport to make it easier is always yeah. right in front of you going through tsa the last time he flew was pre 9 11 like 1999 and he just completely yeah, he's got locked. all the bling like, on what do you mean all the bling, i can't bring my three full laptops. shampoo bottle <laughs> yep Full oh, shampoo yeah, bottles, three top, three laptops, <laughs> full belt. He's got four four pieces of metal wearing, inside of his wearing body. Wearing work boots, fully laced. <laughs> right yeah, now, I I did I had that issue when I got to Chicago, which was because I was coming straight from uh, straight from a work function. So I had like the you know the the boots, uh, the dress boots, and everything. I'm like trying to take them off real fast, but I don't want to take them off too fast and trip over my ass. Like walking through the line. Uh, well, it's a disaster. My week was kind of crazy because we took uh, we we spent a week in Disney, 
Um, and so I also was on a plane and my father-in-law legitimately has not flown who was with us since 1997. Um, and so it was his first time flying since 9-11 with us. Uh, so we had to, you know, we had to do some coaching uh, in preparation mm-hmm. for getting on the plane and some directional stuff. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be some future episode where I get a chance to riff about this a little bit. But I got to go to Galaxy's Edge um, and got to oh. go ride Rise of the Resistance and Smuggler's Run and hang oh, out yeah. in Galaxy's Edge. And I'm just saying it's the most immersive, insane experience I've ever had in like a, a if you have the chance i would say this there's only two rides in galaxy's edge i would not go to disney world just to ride go to galaxy's edge but if you are going to disney world and you're trying to determine what parks do i want to go to i would mm-hmm. have previously cut out it's MGM, at the front but mm-hmm. i would now say go to see galaxy's edge if you like star wars at all even if you don't like star wars and you would just like like the immersion of that area of the park is is crazy um doesn't it, yeah. mgm have the uh aerosmith roller coaster it does yeah it has, that's one of my favorites it has rock and roller coaster rock and roller coaster it has fun. there's honestly a, a, a there's like tower of terror there's a lot of great stuff um we did uh one of the coolest rides we were on was the avatar flight of proving ride uh which is like you're mm. riding a banshee um and it's yep. like kind of vr kind of 3d but you're also on this like like basically it feels like you're on a crotch rocket but you can literally feel the thing breathing underneath of you and mm. and then it, it was really really cool so yep, yep. yeah yeah it was it was great man the whole not oppa per se but yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was like there was literally last night uh, so i i was also up late was up until like five o'clock in the morning speaking at a youth overnighter and they were playing this game where they would have like a subject and a letter that comes up and uh, mm. it was an H and movie. And so that somebody had to shout into the microphone first to shout a, a movie that started with H. So this kid yells, Harry Potter, I'm like, awesome. And, uh, and then after that, uh, they were like, wait, can you actually name any of the Harry Potter movies? <laughs> like the full title. <laughs> and this kid was clueless. He had no idea. He just knew the words Harry Potter. And so I'm in the yeah. back yelling, Harry Potter and the Last Airbender. Harry Potter and the Last <laughs> Airbender from behind. Did he? Did he bite? No, unfortunately. And also, probably good, all of these middle schoolers didn't even know what the Last Airbender was. But Which is a a damn shame. It is these kids these days watching their kids Nintendos and their and their Nickelodeon. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Two Towers. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. Um, yeah, so anyway, we're all a little bit groggy. We've all had yeah. travel or been adjacent to travel this week. Um, but we are going to sit down and talk about some inscription. Now, this is episode three for our conversation mm-hmm. around the card game inscription. Uh, I actually have talked to a couple of people who are sort of playing along with us, which is really cool. Uh, there was someone oh, in my stream so cool. yesterday um, who was like, oh, you're in act three. Um, I'll be back when you're playing something else because I'm not there yet. I, I don't want any spoilers. <laughs> and uh, that That's was like, cool. that was kind of cool. Um, I just finished the game. So what I want to do is give a disclaimer. This episode, we're going to specifically focused in on uh, sort of like the lore and the theme and the story of it. And there's no way to actually have a conversation about that without spoiling the crap out of the game. So True. like we're this is going to be spoiler heavy. We're going to go act by act um, and, uh, and and jump in. So if you have not made it through act two or act three or whatever um and we're jumping into that like just be aware like hit the pause button come back whenever you're through that section and and come and hang out with us so what i'd love to do is i'd love to jump in with the lauren theme feel which we talked a little bit about this i think in episode one but just in like the overall appearance of the game and as you're kind of getting in and what you actually experience with act one, um, Deviant, I'm going to kick it to you first and just ask, ask like, can you give us a brief overview of some of the things that maybe you can experience and then like what your overall impression of like the theme and the lore of act one was? Well, so I think act one is really uh, important to the entire game because it, it hides let like it hides the rest of the game and and what you can expect you think the entire game is going to be this and that's i 100% thought the entire game was going to be this and that that comes down to everything from the you know little icon that you click on your switch when you boot it up 
the, all of the marketing and all of the, you know, uh, you know, pictures and whatnot online, uh, unless you know what you're looking for, like all of the stuff is about that first act. Mm. And you think that the only thing the game likely is, is the first act. Which is interesting because uh, it's obviously like we covered uh, in the I think the very first episode, it's kind of dark and creepy and um, has a, this really smart, really um, you know, a Slay the Spire esque sort of deck building component. There's the escape room component, and it's very, um, it's very immersive. I think it's also very. I guess the best word, like the best way I can put this is you buy in. Mm, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You're like, this is great. I keep, I want more. Give me more. I'm bought in. I want more cards. I want to see more options on the overall board. I want to beat this dude and see more bosses. Right. And so the interesting component to the, all of this is that when you move from act one to act two and the story jolts you out of the thing that you were so immersed and invested in it is disorienting Mm. and i think it's also initially disappointing because the first act is so good gameplay wise and it's really immersive that when you all of a sudden you it's like um you know an m night Shyamalan movie right where it's like whoa, that twist was not only unexpected, but very often for most of his movies, unwanted. <laughs> yeah, like why? Hold up, why? Why are you doing this? Yeah, you, you didn't need to do that. Now, the crazy part about it is, and where I think Inscription mostly sticks the landing, is that they, Acts 2 and 3 are both so different from the other acts, but they're not bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're they give you something different to sink your teeth into. They uh sort of reveal more of the story, they open up more things. And I think that like largely going from act one where you're in the cabin with Leshy and you're, you know, you're 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 fighting through and if you die or if you lose a you know the game, you're theoretically you the player character as we know but we when you first start you don't know that you are like and this is the big spoiler you're playing a video game mm. like 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 you are There's like playing, a very meta thing going on it's super right? meta mm. you are playing a character playing this video game yes yes and so that's where like if yep. you loop a couple times you'll start hearing like you know, static or something as the game glitches, or you'll hear him comment on something after you've beaten the boss a bunch of times in a row. And it's really disorienting at first, but then of course, you know, interspliced with sometimes the game glitches out and you see like video files for the guy. Right. So all of that, like it sets it up so that you're not completely like, well, what the hell? But for the first three hours of gameplay, you're like, Oh no, like I am, I travel in the woods, I lose, I get killed, and I have a death card now for the next traveler who I'm then taking on. Which, again, is a cool concept and one that, like, I think people, and I'm speaking for myself, and I think Gibby, too, like, really got into. And we're like, yeah, this is, like, really unique, really cool. Um, yeah, and it was, it was, like, the act one gameplay, the theme, the vibe of all of it is really strong and yeah and it's what i would say i think i'll use this word a lot in this episode i think maybe i'll kick it to you and have you jump in and share some stuff as well uh but i think it's unsettling is the best yeah. word that i have to describe this game and it's very interesting because it is unsettling in very different ways act one starts off unsettling because it's like oh i'm kind of like killing creatures to play other creatures and i'm doing these blood things and stuff and it's kind of gruesome. And then and then it's like, oh, hold up. Like, there's something more going on here. Oh, I'm being killed. Oh, that's unsettling as well. Oh, but then it's like, <laughs> hold up. There's something going on outside of this game. And it's like, there's a voice trying to break through to me. That's unsettling. Hold up. We took a, a hard 90 degree turn. And now I feel like I'm playing a different game. That's unsettling in an entirely new way. And then as you begin to meet Luke throughout the course of the game and watch the video files, and it's got this sort of like real 
sort of like you know youtuber blair witch vibe to it um yeah where it's like amateur amateur storytelling amateur video work and you're kind of following along the story of this you know guy who makes card game pack opening videos for youtube and and you're starting to get like nervous about him and then it's unsettling because they'll just put like here's a clip that's nothing but static <laughs> and mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, like, uh, I don't even like I don't even want to be clicking on that. Uh, and I'm wondering why is it, uh, it, it there's a lot in there. And and then they break you completely out of the game at times. And it's just like, oh, you just booted up on his PC. And now you're looking at video files on his computer. But it's my computer. But. It, it's it's very it's very meta uh, yeah gibby tell me a little talk, talk to me a little bit about like your like the you know act one exiting into act two kind of feeling and vibe for the, the overall theme and stuff what's interesting to me about act one kind of as it works its way into act two is to to ian's point it's you are so satisfied with act one because i do think it is very immersive and it requires you to emotionally invest yourself to want to play it. Like you, you kind of have no choice, but to, but to do so, if you're going to progress, you have to care and want to explore and uncover secrets and really figure out, like get your bearings around you because you have such little information with what's going on from the beginning. So as you're going through act one and you're trying to learn more about the rules and you're paying attention to voice lines, you're, you're becoming acclimated to your surroundings while it is very off putting at first. And as you said, unsettling because it is so macabre and dark and it feels like such a unique environment that isn't something that you would imagine that either the game to be, I was darker than I would, what I was expecting out the gate <clears throat> or it's just not, it, it, it's darker than most video games you're going to play, but it is so good. And then when you get past that act one and it completely shifts gears to you, for me, I didn't find it so much unsettling as I would, I would shift to the word unexpected. Mm. I, and granted, I think one of, I think Ian got there before I did. And he told me, Hey, this is, it takes a, a game goes 180 on you. Act two is nothing like act one. So maybe I was a little mentally prepared for mm -hmm. any number of outcomes to not be. I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to like find a similar scenario of an escape room in a dark cabin. Again, it's going to be something different, but I wonder what that is. It wasn't that. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't have told you it was going to, I was going to go from Sherlock Holmes PI to dragon tales in a way like i was i thought i was gonna end up in some other realm that was similar at least in graphics similar in gameplay which in a way the card game kind of aspect of it is but it this was much different what i do like about from act one to act two and the way that they structured it i will say is act one feels very much more game oriented where hmm. You could take act one for surface level and not care about the lore in the background and just kind of trying to figure out the game and figure out, but basically treat the cabin as a mini game and trying to solve what is the cabin and then play this card game and you would be okay. But act two and beyond. The game basically says if you get past act one because you cared enough about what was going on in the cabin and the lore and all of that. I'm going to reward you now by let's digging deeper into their hedging their bets as a game saying, if you got past act one, it's because you cared about the story. You cared about the game enough to, you want to uncover what's really going on here. Let's kick that off. And that is now a focus along with gameplay. I bro, I could not, Hey, I could not agree with that more. Because I felt like in Act 2 and more so in Act 3, the gameplay and the aesthetic of the game took a backseat to me really just playing it to get to the next cutscene, to get to the next story piece. And suddenly I was no longer really playing the game because I was like, this is a really great deck building card game. I was now playing the game 
because in fact what I, I wanted to do is i wanted to figure out what was going on with these characters i wanted to figure out what was going on with like the meta luke right that's going on i wanted to learn what was going on with games funa um like i wanted i wanted to get an idea about how all those things connected because it's getting so much stuff thrown out of me and i just don't have i was like i can't figure out how i'm putting the pieces together yet and I wanted to be able to kind of get to those scenes to be able to put those pieces together. Ian, would you agree with that? That sort of like act two and three, the gameplay itself takes a backseat to the narrative that you're trying to uncover. Yes. Uh, I think backseat is maybe, maybe too much. Like I think it's, it's become secondary, but backseat to me, I don't want to imply that like it, that the gameplay becomes stale and stagnant. I think it's oh, just, great. Um, it, it is the advancing through the narrative uh, becomes the primary focal point and the thing that's going to hook you into playing it over one weekend like I did. Mm-hmm. You're right. I absolutely grinded the game because I wanted to know what was going to happen. Um, and I it was like unsatisfying until I had the full context. I'm like, I need to understand what the heck is happening. Um. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, um, I think in that way, like the, I, I think the game did a great job. I think the story was it was a surprising delight uh, for me, albeit um, as weird and and bizarre and meta as it is. Like it, it's was it is undoubtedly unique, um, which I think is a really really cool component. But um, yeah, do we want to talk like how do how do we want to break like down? the story from uh like how are we going to talk about this like how do we want to talk about the story (laughs) of like Uh, what's going on in the outside of the game like what's going on with you as luke i'll break it down real quick so this is going to be the most spoiler heavy thing if you haven't played through the whole game this is this will ruin it for you so to, to give an idea from what i saw because they even throw this at you in chunks and not all in chronological order um yeah so all of a sudden, you learn that you aren't just playing this game in a cabin, and this isn't just a game, but you are this character named Luke who opens packs live, uh, not live, but he opens packs on video uh, for his YouTube channel. And he gets his hand on a grouping of vintage packs of inscription made by a company called Game Funa, which he had picked up at a yard sale at one point. And he goes to open up one of those packs and realizes it had previously been opened. And one of the cards in it has a uh, coordinates, longitude and latitude. Longitude, I'm really bad at those words. Latitude and longitude. Latitude and longitude uh, written on it. He follows those and digs up a floppy disk copy of inscription. And comes back, calls games Funa. Um, They want their copy back, um, but have no knowledge that it existed. What he finds out, what you find out later, is that the girl who likely created this copy um, was also very likely murdered in some way by Games Funa. Um, well, it was like a it was like a factory fire like, where yeah. like most of the people that worked on it died mysteriously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for those of you that don't know, a floppy disk <laughs> is a Just small it. square. It's a small square piece of <laughs> essentially what the games and all all computer stuff used to be on to save information. And and this is really you like Gen Z. I'm talking to you. Yeah, this is predating even Gibby and I, like by a few years. I mean, we had mm-hmm. them just just phasing them out when we were like coming up, and it quickly was like CDs. CDs are where it's at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. And so, who's got that thumb drive? And so, as mm. you're meeting Luke, all of a sudden, a rep from Games Funa knocks on his door and shows up, wanting the floppy disk. And Luke will not give them the floppy disk. Won't give them the copy, this digital copy. Of yeah, he's like lying. He's saying like, I, I don't, I don't have it. Like, I, I, I didn't call. You know, because yeah. he's freaked out. So he, he found his address. Yeah, he's a little freaked out. He doesn't know how they tracked him down. All of this sort of stuff that's going on. You even get like a, an episode where it's like, this is very clearly probably like post. I don't even know when this is set. I'm thinking it's probably like 2000s because he has to go online and buy a floppy drive that he can connect to his computer um, because he can't he can't like play this. Yeah, disc. I think it's like modern day. Okay, is it like modern, modern day? day? Okay. Yeah, I would say yeah, at least I mean, 2010s. Okay. Like. 
Yeah, they still have like backwards compatible things that you can, if you get a floppy drive or something, you can plug it into and it connects to your computer through USB and stuff like that. Yeah, but you have to go seek it out. But yeah, you have to go order one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to be. Yeah, you have to pursue it. So we have all this stuff going on uh, in Luke's life, uh, and then also as you're playing the game, it seems as though the characters in the game have some sort of information about this, which comes out very clearly in Act Three, towards the end, when the uh, the four characters that are kind of like the creators of the cards, and they create these cards in four different ways: a robot with manufactures them. Leshy, this woodland guy who takes pictures of animals and makes them into cards, uh, the wizard who paints pictures and makes them into cards, and the necromancer who sort of like raises skeletons from the dead and then makes them into cards. Um, there's there's sort of like a little meta as well, whereas they're kind of like talking to you and you're realizing that there's this inner conflict in war that's going on, where in act one, Leshy has captured some of these characters with his camera and turn them into cards. And by act three, the robot has locked all of these characters up as cards, which really aren't cards. We find out that they're locked up somewhere else. But anyway, um, all of that to say, there's this constant meta thing going on with Luke as well outside of it. And then in the very end of the game, um, you find out underneath of this copy of digital inscription on this floppy drive is incriminating evidence against games Funa. Um, and potentially, like, you know, some of the murders or whatever it is that they did well, that was wrong. Yeah, supposedly, at least the way I, I read it was because some of the files are talking about how, like, one of the former people of Games Funa uh, was possibly, like, a spy or something, and that this code, like, they call it the old code or something like that at the end of the game, that the old code seems to be some sort of, like, borderline occulty related information hmm. uh that the nazis had found and you know uh that the soviets then found and put it into a code and then a spy stole it back um and I think it's they call like it the old data the old data or something like that yeah and so like i was kind of like trying to look up some stuff to figure out what the heck's going on but yeah it appears to be some sort of like you know, a uh, combination of magic and code or something like that. Magic that, like, code is... and Cold War politics or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, on. literally. And that's why, like, that's why, um, you know, apparently Games Funa, like the person who started the company, had this stuff and saw use for it and was like, oh, we can use this to make really great computers and, and you know, to, to really advance digital stuff until Casey, the the woman who seemed to have like figured this out started realizing that like this code was making the game that she was developing uh it wasn't just that the graphics were out of control good and all this stuff but that the like whatever this was was making the characters in the game sentient Hmm. and so the game literally ends so i i literally got raided by a group called checkpoint church in the last cutscene of the game earlier this week, in yeah. which uh, Luke gets a knock at the door, um, we see that the characters inside the game are actually deleting the game, right? The sentient yeah, well, characters. Yeah, what happens is, and this is like full spoilers, but like, you know, Act 1 is Leshy in the, like, before Luke gets the floppy disk, Leshy had taken over the game and captured all of these characters and was designing the game in his image, right? And then by going through Act 1, you find the new game button, which inadvertently resets the game to uh, what it was originally built for. And Act 2 is you playing this, you know, 16-bit or whatever game the way that Casey made it originally, right? Um, but but through that, because now the, the characters in it and the four scribes are sentient, um, you unwittingly help uh the robot uh scribe whose name i'm forgetting um po3 peo yeah po3 yeah po3 yep. or something like that uh you un- unwittingly help him ascend to do exactly what leshy had done in the past and take over the entire code of the game for himself but his intentions leshy just wanted to play these games and you know experience the thrill of life and death this computer 
because he sees that uh, Luke is like playing this game on new technology, realizes he has an opportunity to spread not just his own sentience, but also the, the old data across the internet. internet. It, and so he, through the course of act three, I think it's really neat. I only figured it out near the end. He is taking you through these uh, very, you know, um, you're doing like this escape room on the side, just like you did in act one, but he's taking you through these challenges in this new, you know, robot themed game uh, with all these new challenges and stuff. But the bosses aren't the scribes anymore. Instead, you're fighting against things like opening up the hard drive and or accessing an internet data point. And the bosses are the steps needed to proliferate this uh, code to the, the entire global internet. And he's trying to trick you into doing that. And the scribes, as you go through the escape room, are trying to stop him and you're getting like hints where they've been like buried deep in the code and you have to go down and and they basically say the only way to stop it is to delete the game yeah to get rid of the game and there's so many things that are going on in that when you're like going around that are like i I, there's so many times i've said in this game what is this game as i was playing it yeah but same specifically these bosses um, like there's a point where they access your hard drive and you're literally picking files from your hard drive that are either helping you win or lose the game. And mm-hmm. there comes a point where he takes one of your files and turns it into a card and is like, oh, by the way, if this card dies, I'm deleting this file from your hard drive. And yeah. that didn't happen to me because I won and refused to play the card. But I also wasn't sure if that would actually happen. Like I was kind of convinced. I think it, it was might... from Luke's hard drive. Yes, but it was. But it accessed my hard drive as well. Oh, because you right? were playing on computer. Yeah, so I'm playing on I was computer. playing on Switch, so I didn't have a hard drive for it to access, but that's really interesting. I'm playing on computer, so it actually brought up, it asked, asked to have access to my hard drive, and it, I was choosing literal files. I was actually turning LegendCast episodes, because there were some oh, of my bigger sick. files, I was turning right. old LegendCast episodes into him in order to balance the scales in my favor in order to win the game. And that's so cool. And then when I that's really cool, which was crazy. And then there was like, hey, pick a small file. So I picked a random like I had no clue what it was startup file. And he's like, oh, if this card dies, I'm deleting this file. And I'm like, if you delete this file, I may not be able to boot up my computer. Like I actually don't know <laughs> what might happen. The stakes were yeah. so real so like this, for you. It got, it got really <laughs> intense because I was like, there's no way this game would actually do this. Right. But it it definitely had access to my hard drive. And then there comes mm-hmm. a point where they say, we're going to boot you up online. And you're talking to this bot that boots you up online. And as soon as you go online, all of the cards that start getting played were my Steam friends. Yep. And, and so suddenly I was getting like it did the same for my uh, and Templar. Yeah. Did it take yep. them from your Switch friend list? From my Switch friends. Yeah. 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 So my sister was a, a very devastating card to have to uh, play against. Yeah, and so it it is like it's consistently beginning in in Act 3, the meta form and the unsettling thing is that it's beginning to access files from your device. Like it's going beyond the game and it's it's not even talking, it's not like even the game anymore. Like it's actually in my PC in some capacity. So that's interesting because one thing that was different with the Switch, because obviously you don't have a whole hard drive full of personal stuff. But what was funny is that they supplemented that with like Luke commenting on the the files you choose. So including there's some other games on his computer that are just ridiculous. And if I turned one of them into a game, he's like, oh, yeah, I never finished that game, you know, or or he'll pick something. There's like an early. No, there's an early video recording of him doing like some ridiculous dance. He's like, oh, I never wanted to see that again. Ah, yeah, it's fine if you delete that. And it's just like, it's it's really, really funny. And it, you know, um, I thought that was a really good little. That's interesting that they did that on Switch because it's it's very different than when I was playing it on PC. That was one of the most nerve wracking moments for me in in the game was like looking at my own files and choosing which ones to potentially delete Mm -hmm. from my PC. Think, Think about it. Can you imagine being a streamer? that has like quite a bit of influence and having something that's not so wholesome on your computer an inscription <laughs> pulls it up while you're streaming. That'd be so funny to pull files from. Yeah. I mean, 
Like that would or be conf- or not- even just confidential information. Yeah. Yeah. That too. Yeah. But but I was I was actually thinking that because like my PC doesn't have anything on it that I would be a, a, afraid of people seeing. But I do have, as a pastor, I do have some confidential information on my PC in terms yeah. of giving. I have like giving reports and yeah. like financial statements and meeting minutes and stuff like that. That tax records. Yeah, but like nobody you know, has the right to see. Right. And luckily, when I would double click them, like it wouldn't play them or bring them up. It would just have the file name and the drive. But I mean, it didn't just access like my C drive. I have an additional hard drive on my computer. I could go and access that drive. I mean, I could go anywhere on my pc and choose files which was and the bigger the files were like you know it was just kind of wild like that whole story art and meta was very uh i was i was just yelling what is this game like i'm on stream well it's very on it it goes back to what you guys were saying it's unnerving the whole game is trying to throw you off it's not a horror game where you're gonna you know see something super gory or whatever It, it is a suspenseful you know disconcerting um environment for it and they they try to sustain that tone and then spike it on certain of these boss fights or you know um certain certain plot points so yeah yeah so you have all of this going on and then the game gets deleted right uh mm-hmm. and as you're playing in the closing scenes it's very surreal like you almost suddenly build a bond with three of the characters as they're dying basically um and they're Mm -hmm. being deleted these sort of sentient card creators and then the game literally ends with luke getting a knock at the door filming himself going to get the door and literally like getting shot and dying like that's how the game yeah, by the by the agent lady that came by their house from Game Spoona. Like he opens yeah. the door, the agent like you hear a gunshot, the camera hits the ground, and then you see a pool of blood and like Luke's hand, and that's it. Yep. Which and you, and and if you sit there and listen, if you sit there and and like keep playing it, you hear her walking around, tossing the house, looking for the disc. Which is just like it. It was a very unexpected ending for me. Like it was a very tragic and once again, I'm thrown off an unsettling ending. Yeah. Like I was aware that that could happen, but I didn't legitimately think it was going to. Like I didn't you think call, that was the You end. called Games Funa's bluff and said you won't do it and they did. Yeah. No, but and what's crazy about it is that you then take another step back and you realize that's not actually the ending of the game. You know what I mean? Uh, at least this is the way I chose to picture it. The ending of the game is, wait, I'm not actually Luke. I'm investigating Luke. Like, that's how I, I maybe mm. that's not what it was intended, but I was like, whoa. It goes like, you could theoretically interpret it as a layer deeper, which is like, what if I'm looking through his device, like recordings and stuff? And that's why there's all that static. All that static is likely the things that have been wiped and the things that, you know, um, you know, on, on these video files with the static, like that's what's concealing the entire mystery throughout the game. You get the impression as you find these files throughout the game that like, well, if I could just see this, the whole thing would make sense. It's like it's redacted. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't think about it that way, but in a, in a way, that's kind of true. It's like I am I am now part of the story, and I am You're watching puzzles. what happened to Luke, right? Yeah. Now I'm waiting for Game Spooner to knock on my door. Um. <laughs> well, right, and I think, there, I think that's like the fun, the fun concept of it, right? Um, yeah, is that like the code is still out there that you, the player – are now complicit in this made up conspiracy and that like, you've seen all this stuff with Luke and, and like learn more about, you know, all of this. And it, I think it does leave the door open in an interesting way to some sort of sequel. So what form that takes, I'm not so sure. Cause I mean, I mean, everything I about this whole... game has been unpredictable. How would you predict what the sequel would be? You right. know? And I think, and I think that like the, the whole game clearly is a, is a love letter to card games. Right. And it's, has everything to do with like the main central plot is that Luke is a card game pack opener, you know, yeah. and he loves, and, and he even, you even find some touching moments on his hard drive 
um, when you're in the third act of him um, talking about like that, that was the big bond he shared with the sister who I think had like, who died young, I think of cancer or something like that. And that like, this is like the main thing he does. And he really throws himself into the whole card game, you know, uh, YouTubing and stuff as like a way to manage his, you know, uh, depression and whatnot over that incident. So it's like really heartwarming uh, at the same time. And and the crazy thing is, is that you get to the end of the game. <clears throat> and I thought this was a cool element. And as they're deleting the game, you brought this up, Mark, like you're bonding with some of these scribes that they they basically were like, we had our fun, but like, it's important that the old data doesn't get up on the internet. And right. like, mm -hmm. we will, we'll go down with the ship uh, as part of that. So you you have you start like you you talk to I can't remember uh, their name but the 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 death lady, and what's cool is that like things are like parts of the board are like disappearing as you're playing, which is kind of neat. Mm -hmm. But like you see what it would have been like had you played her version of Inscription instead of Leshy's version or instead yeah. of PO3's version. And you even get down to Magnus, the the uh, painter, and you see it's like this overdramatic, like Yu-Gi-Oh! dual disc it, amazing. style. Amazing, yes. Just yeah. it's absolutely ridiculous, you know? But but half, by the time you get there, half the game's mechanics are glitched out and unaccessible, and you're, you're limp through these games with these people and you realize like they are they're sentient and they're this is like these are their dying breaths just wanting to like show you what they made and what they're proud of because at the end of the day they've made all these cards and they're trying to like the you know get validation for the work that they did even though they are not real yeah but you know what i mean like it's really metaphysical in that sense the moment that got me in the feels at the end of the game was yeah. at one point the scales disappear because the game's being deleted yeah. when you're fighting Leshy. And yeah. Leshy says, we don't have to keep score. I just want to play a few more rounds. Yeah. And oh, that got me too. That, I, got, I had a tear. Like, was, I was like, yeah. oh. Yeah, because it was like Leshy was the villain who was capturing you and killing you over and over again in a cabin. And at the end, Leshy is dying. And he's like, will, will you just, I love this game would you just play a few more rounds for me until I'm gone? Um, mm -hmm. And I think there's something really crazy. And like, I, I just didn't expect to feel a bond to Leshy, right? Like he was my captor. And now I'm like, yeah. and it goes to something that you talked about, like Stockholm syndrome, like, in I was like is this one, what Stockholm syndrome was like? Like literally yeah. it, it, it kind of played out that way. Now, Gibby, I know that um, like you are, you're still, I mean, we probably spoiled some things for you as well, but, like you're finishing up the game right now but is there anything that you want to add to some of that conversation about the meta and the exploring of luke's story and stuff i know you, you were trying to chime in yeah there's a lot that i feel like the game is constantly trying to fight this battle between being so otherworldly and just causing mayhem in your brain about what's going on but also making sure that you don't forget that this is rooted in reality and that there's this yeah, there's there's elements where it's like meshing magic with these these sentient characters, but this all rooted in a realistic like world. And you really do get to see the three cards you unlock, which you don't know at that time are essentially the scribes, the three scribes locked in cards that you need to kind of get out of Leshy's version of the game. And you end up making your way at one point over into PO3's version of the game. And I really wish we could have seen what Grimora and Magnificus is. I was looking up their names. Uh, oh, the other two, the other two scribes, okay. Magnificus being the the magician wizard, mm -hmm. and then Grimora is the the undead. Yeah, yeah. the and Grimora was, uh, and that that little hit of what her realm would have looked like was was cool. Yes, yeah. So there's a lot of secrets in this game i was looking up actually look some some secrets that you can explore that are that are littered throughout this game and so it would be worth going back and like knowing some of the secrets and like trying to uncover some of that stuff but it's just so interesting to see how this constant battle of all of the different scribes trying to take control of this game in their own nefarious way or trying for, for whether it's good reasons or bad reasons. I mean, unless you had a pretty sinister reason, so did PO3, but like you're trying to see all of these different 
motives and objectives from the scribes who understand the context of the game that they're trapped in and trying to shape it in a way that's better for them play out to then kind of coming to the realization that this is only a small part of the puzzle and I we have to be part of the answer to not let this become everybody else's problem as well Hmm. so like yeah it just it does hit you in the feels and it it makes you kind of look around and say like it makes you kind of apply it to other places in your life and like what's important yeah well you know in the end of the day when it comes to the gameplay i understand it's not there's nothing about this game that's like game breaking when it comes to like chain life changing when it comes to gameplay right like it's not going to change the genre of card games however the person who created this game and the story and the pieces and how that story unfolds has to think differently than any other human being on the planet because i i i, I just feel like this game lore wise theme wise is at its strongest like that's where it is and i'll talk about this in the next episode but i am i i am struggling on whether or not it is it in my top five games or my bottom five games i still am uncertain like i i it and there's still things that i didn't unlock i like that you brought that up gibby like there's lots of things like you had mentioned in pre-show that there's like sections in act two of this ball that you can unlock in this chamber that you can go to and i never mm-hmm. even accessed any of that stuff i didn't know about any of that there was like a hammer and a torch and like things that I never unlocked in the cabin. Like there's still pieces of the game. I was able to advance and finish the game, get to the credits, but there were definitely things in the game that I didn't unlock that probably would have either unlocked more about the story of the scribes or more about the story of Luke. So there's there. I think there's even reason to go back and replay it. And I actually heard that there's like, there's a mod out there. That's like a weird Pokemon version of this game. And then there's a, they actually re-released this uh, so that there's like a way that you can go in now and play it um, and just sort of like arcade mode, play the card yeah. games. I've tried it. Okay. It, it's, How it's, is that? it's in the game. Like it's, it's, you don't have to download anything. I don't think it's okay. like, it's called Casey's mod. And, and actually I looked up the lore behind it and the idea being that Casey, so Casey had originally encountered uh, was, was the original designer of the game. Right. And had designed act two. Right. But she she showed up to her computer one day or something like that, and uh, Leshy had taken over the scribes and turned the game into what we see in Act 1. She starts playing through it, trying to, like, figure out, like, well, do I need to keep working on this? Like, what's going on? And she's playing through it, and Leshy's, like, talking to her and, like, seems to know, like, who she is. And so she's weirded out by it. She like tries to like elevate it to people and they don't, I think I read this on Wikipedia. So I like, I'm, I'm sort of bridging this, but mm-hmm. you find out, I think through parts of this, like what goes on, but basically the idea is Casey's like, okay, this is really weird, but nobody believes me, but I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. But at the same time, they also are pressuring me to put the game out and like get the game ready. So this game that Leshy's doing it it's it's unbalanced like it's crazy unbalanced and like it's like he's trying to you know do i'm gonna make a game i'm gonna mod leshy's uh leshy's act one so that it's fair and balanced and we can release it as a game so that the game funa gets off my back oh that's interesting Mm-hmm. yeah so she mods it where like some of the really powerful cards like are are rebalanced like ouroboros right for instance doesn't continue growing on on every run you know it's like it's it only grows within the context of that one run right and uh things like that so it's really cool they rebalance some of the uh other mechanics to make it so that like it's actually like legit challenging and then uh shuffles the three stages so you don't know if you're getting the trapper first you don't know if you're getting the you know whatever um angler Angler. so like angler right and so you'll get access to cards in different orders you'll do it's it's really neat but what's also cool is they will have you do challenge runs and you can select a challenge run to do where things like uh you don't start with the angler's hook so that's one of the basic ones but eventually it'll get to like you can't use any items and things like that um so it's it's if you really are are um addicted to that act one sort of slay the spire uh, thing they have that out there for you to like really go through and and sort of arcade mode it like you said 
That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, does anybody have any closing thoughts uh, on the uh, like the lore theme overview story that we we dove in and spoiled the crap out of in this episode? No, I think I got pretty much everything that I that I wanted to say on it. Um, but besides, if you really enjoy the game, I also recommend maybe looking up some of the additional secrets and stuff that you can unlock and seeing if you can accomplish that too. It's like that; those are kind of like essentially side quests that, yeah, for those of you that are like come like hundred percent completionists in games and want to like see every everything the game has to offer, uh, you might enjoy trying to go and cover or unlock more of those things just for the additional little like flavorful content. But if you're like me, you know, and you don't really understand what the heck just happened at the end, <laughs> yeah. Like Wikipedia ha- is is a great answer, uh, you know, and you can find articles breaking down the plot and and sort of um, some a lot of it is still left up to interpretation. But there was apparently an augmented reality game that dropped with the game that like fans could go and like I don't think it exists solve. anymore. Correct? I think no, not anymore. Know. But but no, but when it first released. And they solved all the clues, and so some of the information, even that I said, um, came from that and sort of filled in some gaps and answered some questions about the old data, which I think is really neat. Um, so you can read that if you're really interested in the lore. I think it's, I think it's, it's going to be exciting to rate this game in our last episode uh, because, like you, I am still on the fence as to what my final verdict is. But I think that that's really unique because 90% of the time with a video game, I know if I like it or not right away. Yep. And this one has me, has me puzzling. So anywho, um, yeah, no, I think, I think uh, for those of you who have already played the game and, and hopefully listen to this spoiler free because you, you already know the spoilers. Hopefully it was interesting hearing our, our takes on things. I'm also interested in your own personal theories uh, on the game, which if you do post about this episode in the Discord, I want to remind you to use the uh, spoiler functionality so that it doesn't ruin it for the people that are still playing along. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, or we will find you and we'll trap you inside of the game that is Discord. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah we'll take your picture. Uh, uh, that's going to wrap up this episode, episode three for uh, for inscription. Um, we'll be back in a couple of days with episode four. We'll be dropping two episodes this week, so be sure to come back later this week and uh, and catch episode four as we talk about our recap and ratings for inscription. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Appreciate you. And like DBN said, swing over to Discord uh, and let us know what you're thinking and what your theories are and if they're different than let's, ours, uh, especially. Let, let's hope Mark doesn't get this episode deleted by the time we get there. <laughs> yeah. Nobody answered the door. Yeah. Uh, inscription has just accessed Riverside's database and cloud and uh, is deleting everything in Riverside's cloud. Um, Game Funa, no. <laughs> Game Funa. Uh, well, hey, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Legends Cast. You can join our podcast community by joining Discord using the link in the description of this episode. You can become a supporter of the show by visiting patreon.com slash camplegend. And don't forget to check out all of the other shows in the Camp Legend Podcast Network. 